Hello everyone, my name's Daniel. I am part of the Santon Life Group and I also help out at the teens and that's my wonderful and beautiful wife right there in the front. Today uh, (laughs) we're reading from Romans 6 verse 15 to 23 um, and then I'll just read that for us. So that's Romans 6 verse 15 to 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. It is lovely to be together. It's lovely to... Well, it's a privilege for me to bring God's word to you um, as we look at another week of the anatomy of sin. Just a reminder that um, Gareth is planning another series in uh, Ruth, um, so that's um, exciting. That's going to start on the 31st of um, of uh, this this month, uh, so the last Sunday. So uh, please be on the lookout for that. Please be reading through Ruth. One of the things that we want to do at the church is to give you a full diet, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, so that you learn how the different uh, genres of Scripture present God um, to us. So I'm looking forward to um, uh, hearing Gareth uh, preach uh, to us. Um, just to emphasize... Uh, one thing that we uh, perhaps left out is uh, just as you walk in, we always, always want you to come in and to move a step closer to Jesus. One of the ways, the key ways we do that um, to help you take your next step, perhaps you just new to our church, um, you want to know how to get plugged in, is our live groups. Uh, so as um, Daniel said, he's part of the Santin live groups. There are many live groups that meet um, across uh, Midrand and uh, Pretoria, wherever you are, uh, there's a live group there. Um, so can I encourage you to join one? Can I encourage you to talk to myself or uh, any of our staff members, anybody that you've seen um, up here as well uh, regarding a live group? If you are a young adult, um, which apparently I'm two years to not being a young adult anymore. <laughs> um, the one that exists uh, are the cool kids, uh, the tribe. Um, so please um, chat to Oba King, who are singing here. She's part of the tribe. Chat to you about um, getting involved at the tribe. 
I'm going to pray for us and we're going to look at another week of anatomy of sin. And if you remember last week, uh, we said the word anatomy is just simply cutting something down into pieces so that we study it. Uh, and what we're doing is that we're studying sin uh, so that we can understand how it operates in our lives and so that we can understand how to move a step closer to Jesus um, and to um, basically as far as it's humanly possible, uh, to put it to death and to defeat it in our lives uh, so that it doesn't affect us, it doesn't hold us back. If you missed last week, we looked at sin, uh, and we said that sin has deep roots. Um, if you don't dig it up, it will pull you down. Uh, so that's what last week we focused on. Um, I'm not going to say more on that. Please go onto our website uh, and uh, listen to that. Please um, bow your heads as our leaders in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can sing. We thank you that we are reminded that we come here not because we're worthy, but because you loved us. We thank you that even when we sing songs like we will build our lives on your word, uh, that we'll be reminded that it requires a power from above for us um, to be to stay true to that. So I pray that, that your spirit will be mightily at work in bringing uh, life to this, your word, uh, and that you'd use me um, to proclaim your truth. Uh, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so one of the things that we're going to be doing is looking at the different metaphors uh, that um, the Bible uses to explain sin to us. A metaphor is simply a human picture that explains a very complex uh, and a very uh, deep and spiritual uh, reality. And sin is a deep and spiritual reality, as we saw last week. Now, the metaphor that we're going to see, in, if you've picked it up already from Romans uh, chapter 6, is the metaphor of slavery. Sin as slavery. Uh, sin as slavery. Uh, have a look at verse uh, 19 as Paul is also talking to this um, Romans uh, Christians. He says that I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's explaining to them and has been explaining to them how God works in transforming people from the inside out. Uh, how he transforms them by putting to death the sin that operates in their lives. Uh, and very often, Paul uses metaphors and things from his culture to bring to light the reality of uh, this sin. And so he's speaking in human terms. Uh, he's using the concept uh, from their culture, concept of slavery, uh, because they cannot, we cannot fully understand um, how sin operates. So that's why we want to focus on sin as slavery, um, sin and slavery. And I think across all history, slavery has been um, part of life, a part of the uh, part of society. So in some ways, we ourselves understand uh, a bit about what slavery is like. And we're going to see more and more as we uh, look at the text, what slavery looks like. What Paul is going to say in our section, and as also as we read uh, a section from Numbers, is this, um, that you have been rescued from the slavery of sin. 
you have been rescued from the slavery of sin. And the more you celebrate your way through the freedom that you have today, the more you cast away the chains of yesterday. Let me say that again. Uh, you have been rescued uh, from slavery uh, of sin. Uh, the more you celebrate your way through the freedom you have today, the more you cast away the chains of yesterday. I'm not even sure if that's proper English, but there we go. I received it from the Lord, just like last week's, uh, <laughs> just like last week's one. Uh, and we're going to see as we unpack that, this to help you remember what we're talking about. We're going to see as we unpack that, number one, you have been rescued from slavery, and you might be walking in into the church uh, and thinking, yeah, that's exciting. I never knew that. Um, we want to explore a bit about what I mean by you and what does it mean to be rescued from that slavery. So number one, the point that we first going to see is that point of you've been rescued from slavery. The second one being that you need to celebrate your freedom. You need to celebrate your freedom. Uh, the third one being that the more you celebrate your freedom, uh, the freer you will be. Uh, so that's basically where we, what are we going to look at um, this evening, um, that we ought to be, we, one, are safe from slavery, two, we need to celebrate, three, not only do we need to celebrate, but the more we do that, uh, the fear you'll be as a Christian to live out the Christian life. Now, I don't think it's a mistake that the founding story of the nation of Israel, which is Israel, begins for us the Christian story. It begins with this small people, this Jewish people, this Israelite community. And the biggest story in the Israelite community is the story of a rescue, a rescue from Egypt uh, into the promised land. And we've been looking at that in our morning services. We've been working our way through Exodus. Exodus tells the story of these people who were enslaved in Egypt and are freed. And very often, you see that throughout Scripture, there's always, um, the authors of Scriptures are always looking back at that event of the Exodus as a pattern of God's uh, people. Um, in fact, so much so that the New Testament uses this concept of the Exodus uh, to speak about what it means to move from slavery to sin uh, into a relationship with um, with God. Um, to become a Christian, to become a follower of God, uh, very often is used in this Exodus language. Um, there's a book by Alistair J. Roberts, uh, who writes um, a book called Echoes of the Exodus, and as you can, some books you don't need to read them because the title tells you what the book is saying. Uh, that the scriptures, please read this one because it unpacks that. The scriptures has echoes of the Exodus. There's allusions to the Exodus story. Um, this is what he says about somebody becoming a Christian um, and using this picture of a movement from slavery to um, a relationship with God. He says, whenever we baptize someone, baptism is a way of being included into the community of God's people or share in the Lord's Supper, that's communion, uh, that's what Christians celebrate. We are witnessing to ourselves and to the world around us that all of us have known slavery. All of us live in the hope of a land 
flowing with milk and honey, and Israel's God has stepped down to liberate us from the former and take us triumphantly into the latter. Israel's God in Exodus comes down to free um, his people from slavery and brings them into the promised land. So that metaphor is a metaphor of the Christian life. As Royden said in the morning service, that the Christian story, the Christian life has an exodus, um, uh, uh, has an exodus shape to it. It's a movement from slavery to freedom, to the promised land. And we begin to taste that promised land in the here and now, but just like those people who moved around in the wilderness, as we move around the streets of Midrand, uh, it is the wilderness. And so the shape of our lives is that we are in the wilderness and just wondering if we have been freed. But the reality is, um, as Paul would want these Christians to remember, is that indeed we are freed, freed from the slavery of sin. And very often Paul does this with Christians. He reminds them of who they were before, then he reminds them of what God has done and what God has made them to be. And that's what he does again in this passage. Have a look at verse 14 of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 14, speaking to believers, people who've crossed the line of faith, people who've put their trust in Jesus, he says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Again, this idea and this picture of sin and the power that it has over people, uh, and he says to Christian that that power that it used to have over you uh, sin doesn't have that power anymore. You used to live under the law, the law that instructed you as to how you should follow God and live for God. But that in of itself, as we saw last week, could not empower you to live a righteous and a good life. Uh, but God did something through Jesus to bring us into a relationship with himself and broke down the power of sin in your life, in my life, if you are a believer. And because of that, Paul can say and remind these Christians that sin has no no more uh, power over you. It has no dominion over you. I wonder if we believe this uh, as Christians, um, as we come here this evening, what would that look like in this coming week? Uh, To know that sin has no more power over you. But so we pick up that, we pick up what Paul is saying, but there's a subtext here. Paul is again, I guess, affirming the fact that outside of Jesus, sin does have power. Sin does have power over people to make them to will and to desire and to do things that are contrary to what God would have them do. Sin has dominion and power. And I like how Tim Keller, in his sermon called, again, Sin as Slavery, um, he says that Sin is not just an action, it is a power. Um, And that's what the Bible reminds us, that when we do things that are not pleasing to God, it's not just those actions, but there's a power at work in and through us. Just think about it for a minute. Uh, I think many of us grow up um, going to church, or many of us watch Christian movies, whatever. We're exposed in some way to the Christian message, to the Ten Commandments, uh, we know not to lie, we know not to steal, um, we know not to 
commit adultery and all of those things. In fact, you don't need to be a Christian um, to want to, if you're in a relationship, uh, to live in a faithful relationship, right? Um, so all of us long for that. Um, but Jesus kind of takes it deeper in the Gospels. And he says, it's not just, you've heard it being said that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that even if you look at a woman lustfully, uh, you've done, you've committed adultery. Now, can I ask you, can I challenge you to go into this week and not lie? Can you do that? Um, to go into this week, Jesus says, not just murder, but if you cook up things in your heart and are angry towards people and you're like, that one, I just want to strangle them, <laughs> you've committed murder. Can you live a week without that? Um, can you live um, not doing those things, not thinking those things? Of course, the reality is no. There's sin uh, and sin's power is working in us and it's not just enough for us um, to be reminded of the things that we ought not to do. Uh, but there is something that always creeps in, that keeps us down, that keeps us doing the things, as we saw last week, the very things that God calls us not to do. And so sin, as power, is slavery. It is enslaving. It chokes us up like a python. Uh, so it, you know what a python does? Apparently. <laughs> well, people say, you know, it squeezes you. I'm like, whenever have you ever been squeezed? It squeezes the life of, out of us slowly um, but surely. And that's the nature of sin. Uh, and what Paul says, especially if you look at verse 23, that the wages of this sin uh, is death. It not only enslaves us, uh, but it kills us slowly uh, but surely. A sin is um, sin is not just an action, but it is a power. It is a power that enslaves us. Uh, so that's the thing that we pick up, and that Jesus has saved us from that power, uh, and he's given us the freedom to will and to desire the things that he wants. Um, there's a suit to him uh, called um, O Muhawamodim, and it speaks of the grace of God. And the words are, uh, says, that I'm, I'm governed and controlled by my desires. That eat away at my heart. So it's looking back at the time where this um, desires, um, it's to almost uh, chain you. They chain you um, uh, to a point of death. I grew up with these desires. Even though they, I knew they would bring me death, I knew that this action would lead me to death, but I couldn't even resist it. Uh, such is the nature of sin at work in the human life, and such is the power of Jesus who frees us from that slavery to sin. Have a look at verse 20 to 23. As Paul again reminds Christians, followers of Jesus, of what God has done in their lives. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, remember that time, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have now become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. 
for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul goes on to contrast for us a life of freedom and a life of slavery to sin. And he reminds them that once at once they were slaves. And this slavery was leading them away, further and further away from God to the point of death. Um, he uses the, this image of wages. Okay, you work as a slave, and guess what are your wages? As you check your pay slip at the end of the month, um, the employee benefits of being a slave is what? In this passage, death. But then the free gift of God is eternal life. Uh, the life that we are seeing in the Nicene Creed. The life of the world to come. That is eternal life. Um, so that's the contrast that we see there. The contrast of slavery. That we born into it. That we desired. That we can't free ourselves from it. But God comes in and steps in as we are led away by our desires and he transforms our lives so that we stop bearing the fruit of sin, which is death, and, and we start bearing more and more the fruits uh, that come from God, which is eternal life. Now I think the, the best picture of sin of this, <laughs> this slavery is in the movie called White Tiger. Um, I, I, I recommended it to the students, uh, and then as we were watching it, I'm like, shucks, this movie is filled with a lot of cast words, so just be warned. But it does tell a beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, if you don't want to watch the movie, there's a book. Uh, in fact, the book is better. Um, it's called White Tiger. And in the movie, um, we see slavery, uh, slavery as it's depicted in India, uh, and I don't know if you know anything about um, the, the, the culture, uh, the culture of the caste system. Uh, this movie depicted uh, so well uh, that you have those who are born into servitude and those who are masters. And as the scene opens, you have one of the most, um, I'll say beautiful, but slavery isn't beautiful. So one of the most gruesome pictures of sin displayed in the opening opening scene. And, and the guy basically laments the fact that if you are a slave there, or rather a servant, or in the lower caste, it's not like corporate essay where you get to work your way out of the system. You are enslaved. And the most powerful slavery is not just your condition, but is that you are being conditioned by your condition. Ah, <laughs> that's an a, that's an amen moment right there. Uh, I get these things from above. <laughs> you are being conditioned by the conditions around you to remain in the mindset of slavery, such that you don't desire to get out of that uh, slavery. So, in the opening scene, we see this butcher guy cutting chickens and taking them from this rooster cage chopping them on the block. He's a butcher. And the narrator tells us that such is the nature of servitude uh, in, this, uh, in this system. Uh, I'm going to read for us an extract from the book because I can't give you that picture from the movie. Uh, he, the, the author says, Hundreds of brightly colored roosters stuffed tightly into wire cages, packed as tightly as worms in the belly, pecking 
each other and pooping on each other, pushing just for breathing space, the whole cage giving off a horrible stench, the stench of terrified feathered flesh. On the wooden desk above the school sits a grind, of the school, of this cage sits a grind, grinning young butcher, showing off the flesh and the organs of recently chopped off, chopped up chicken, still with a coating of dark blood. The roosters in the cage smell the blood from above. They see the organs of their brothers lying around them. They know they are next, yet they do not rebel. They do not try to get out of the cage. The same thing is done with human beings in this country. And so the scene moves from the rooster, the scene in the movie moves from the uh, rooster um, cage into uh, this guy who's a servant, who's... um, Peddling away with furniture on the rickshaw. Um, and the narrator says that the furniture on his back is worth at least two years his salary, and yet he will faithfully peddle the money back to his boss without ever touching a single rupee. No seven does. Why? Is it because we are the world's most spiritual people? No. It's because 99% of us are caught in the rooster cage. But what he said next blew me away. He said that the trustworthiness of servants is so strong that you can put the key of emancipation in the man's hand and it will throw you, throw it back at you with a curse. Such is the mindset of slavery. And obviously the movie is depicting uh, emancipation, that we need to free ourselves from uh, that kind of uh, system. But it is, it is just powerful, isn't it? Um, that those roosters know what their fate is because they've seen their brothers fall into the same ditch, but they themselves will continue to live in like that. And very often that's, that is the nature of sin in our life, in our society, isn't it? That we know the things that harm us and destroy us, yet we continue to do those things. Why is that? Well, because sin has enslaved us. And unless Jesus frees us from that, we continue to be enslaved to our sin. We need somebody powerful beyond us um, to free us uh, from that sin. And he's done that. Uh, Jesus has done that. Even though we are unwilling to be saved, even though we didn't desire to be freed, he has come to show us first that we slaves, then that we need um, to be rescued. Um, so that's our very first point, uh, which is quite long, uh, that you have been freed from sin. If you are a Christian, if you've come to the end of yourself to realize that you cannot please God by your own action, and that sin is not just the things that we do, but it is a power that needs somebody who's more powerful to put it to death in your life. If you've come to believe that you are a Christian, and if you are a Christian, you are free. Amen. Second thing is that you need to celebrate that freedom. And I think this point, I don't get it so much from Paul. It is there because Paul thanks God. He's, um, he lives a life of thanks, thankfulness. If you read Ephesians, he's very thankful. He always thanks God for all that he's done. So there is a theme of thanksgiving. But I was thinking to myself, what does thanksgiving have to do with slavery? Now come with me to Numbers, chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. Numbers 
is in the Old Testament. Numbers is after Leviticus. You have uh, Genesis, Exodus, that story of uh, the great rescue. Leviticus. Um, Leviticus is outlining for us life in the presence of God. Then Numbers is the time in the desert. Have a look at chapter 11 with me. Um, look at people who have been freed from slavery and the mindset that they have uh, in in the desert. Verse 4, now the rubble that was among them had a strong craving and the people of Israel also wept again and said, this is not the first time they complained, oh, that we had meat to eat. <laughs> Verse 5, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, um, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but manna to look at. God has freed them from the most oppressive regime, uh, from a time in slavery where they had to build and build without mortar. It was hard in Egypt. Um, but as they get into the desert, they start complaining. God gives them food every single day. Every single day they're eating, but they're just tired of this. They're tired of this food. It's just like, Namanyana, can't we have a bit of meat, a comrade, a chief? Like this is, this is not a right setup, right? Um, people complain, and I think that is our nature, isn't it? Uh, that once you've been feed, your default position as a Christian is to always live the Christian life with your eyes looking back at the life before. Egypt was nice. We, we had fish there. Life was good. Now we're in this mess. Of course the fish was free because you were a slave. You were not even paid what was due to you. And yet they're looking back and saying, it was better then. It was better then. I wonder if you ever experienced this in your own life as a Christian. I wonder if you ever think, man, some of us, some of you grew up in Christian homes um, I grew up not in a Christian home necessarily, became a Christian at 14. Sometimes I'm like, shucks, what if like I lived a rebellious life and then enjoyed myself in varsity and didn't do this Christian stuff? Um, surely that would have been fun. Uh, many of us live the Christian life looking back at that life of Egypt, grumbling and forgetting what God has done to us. Here are people that God has rescued and all they complain about is the food they're eating. They're complaining about the freedom that God has given them. And the reason why we want to mention this is because I think that is often the Christian life, that we don't take time to celebrate. It comes easy to us to complain, doesn't it? It comes easy to us to grumble about the Christian life and the life that God calls us to. Um, to rejoice in what God has done is not something that um, that comes easy. We, we don't know what it looks like to live a life of freedom. Do you remember that movie, Shawshank Redemption? What did that guy do after he's been freed? Anybody? What did he do? Spoiler alert, he hung himself 
because he just couldn't conceive of life outside of the prison wall. Prison had become his very life. Very often our sin and the, that we're born into becomes our very life, that we think that life and true life and enjoyment is found within the confines of our prison. But there is life outside of that prison. And that's why we are called to live as thankful people. And very often in the New Testament, that is the reality. Paul picks it up in verse 17 and says, But thanks be to God that we who were once slaves have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Thanks be to God that these guys who were slaves have had the gospel message being taught to them and have come to believe the gospel message that Jesus is a better king of your lives. They've moved from slavery um, to freedom. And he says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And that ought to be our celebration, this thing that we celebrate each and every day. So number one, God has rescued us from sin, rescued you from sin. You need to celebrate your freedom. And the last thing is that the more you do that, the more we celebrate that freedom, the more we live lives of thankfulness, um, the more the fear will be from our sin. The more you see God as more awesome, more attractive than your sin, the more you will move away from your sin because it will become uglier and uglier. And such is the power of the gospel that when we see God and what he has done, what he's rescued us from, the more we see that, the more we'll move towards wanting to please him more and more. It's not just, we don't just stop sinning because the Bible tells us so. We stop sinning because sin becomes distasteful to us, the more we see the freedom we have. Have a look at verse 15 um, to 16, then 19 um, to 19. As Paul tells Christians that the kind of attitude that they ought to um, have towards their newfound freedom. So remember what we said, that you are free from sin and the um, that you need to be celebrating it in every day, and the more you do that, the freer you'll be. Uh, Paul speaks to these Christians about their newfound life in Christ. He says, what then? Are we, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Paul had just argued that, um, that God's grace is free, uh, that the more sin abounded in their lives, the more the grace of God abounded. abounded. Um, he's freed them from the law and Obviously, if you hear that salvation is free, your very response is, well, then can I just continue sinning? And he says, no. Do you not, by no means, verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? If you, if you live a life of sin, if you continue doing those things that you know God is calling you not to do, you offering yourselves as a slave to sin, which leads to death, um, or obedience which leads to righteousness. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitation. For just as you, want, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, 
So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. What is Paul saying there? He's saying that this, this is who you were. You are living a godless life. You are submitting and using your very body, the gifts and talents that God has given you as slaves and instruments of sin. But God has rescued you from that. And the more you see that freedom, the more you ought to live in the newness of life, uh, to pursue life in the spirit, to pursue life as a Christian, to pursue a life where you say to yourself this week, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not going to present my body once more to sin this week. I'm a child of God. And because I'm a child, I want to present myself as one who serves God. Because this space is much more free than the life I used to live. How can we do that as Christians? Well, it's by looking uh, through to Jesus who's freed us once more and by being thankful. So can I ask you that when you look at your life right now, when you look at, I don't know what sin you're struggling with, when you look at the things that you grumble about when it comes to your Christian faith, what would it look like this week to be thankful and to say, I'm thankful to God for one, two, three, four, five, just five things to be thankful for? And because of that, I want God to help me to present myself as a, as a child to him, to not, no longer live as a slave to sin. I want to end it off with, um, yeah, just a question. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? <laughs> this question comes from this annoying toy that um, somebody bought my daughter. <laughs> it's from Coco Melon. Coco Melon is the anthem of my life. <laughs> I listen to it day in, day out. I know all the songs. And there's this one song that says, What are you thankful for? It says, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for the things I have. And... What is it? The thank yous never end. She also, her life is the Coco Melon <laughs> theme song. And I just thought, wow, man, that, that is such a, an awesome thing for a child to learn, isn't it? And that we're thankful for those things. Because they complain. They complain quite a lot. Papa, you don't love me for this and this. You don't want me to play video games. Whatever it is, you don't want me to have sweets. No, you can't have sweets because those are not good for you. Um, and the reality is that we all don't live thankful lives. Now, this week, what are five things that you are thankful for? What are five things that you are thankful for? And if you're thankful for those things, what would it look like uh, for God to help you as you live more like a thankful child um, than a slave, a former slave who's looking back at the old um, Egypt, thinking that that's where life is. Let me pray for us, uh, for God to help us do that. Father, we thank you for this passage in Numbers, uh, this picture into the human heart, uh, a heart that is filled with complaint, um, that although you rescued those people, they were not thankful to you. Thank you for Paul who wrote this um Scripture, uh, who uh, challenges Christians to 
not present themselves any longer as instruments um, to their old slavery. I thank you that that's the challenge uh, to us, and it's only possible uh, through our Lord Jesus, who empowers us to love the things that you love, uh, to chase the things that you would like us to chase, and to live the full uh, Christian life. I pray that you'd give us satisfied hearts, hearts that are satisfied in the freedom that we have, uh, that we would today celebrate that, and that the more we do that, we would cast away the chains of yesterday, that we would live more and more free lives as we submit our members and our everything as instruments to you, our only good. Tonight I pray for someone who's might be hearing this who's not a believer, that you would help them come to the end of themselves, uh, to come to realize that they cannot please you apart from Jesus, and that they would take that next step in following Jesus. Thank you so much for this evening. I pray that you'd bring us back next week, uh, ready to hear your word. Uh, This we pray in Jesus' name and for our good. Amen.